Hi, my name is Antoine, and I'm an alcoholic. Well, coming from a church background, um, I, when I got older, when I was younger, I wanted to venture out. I wanted to leave the church for a while and see what the world had to offer. And I picked up drinking and partying, and that's how I got, you know, addicted to alcohol. I thought God turned his back on me because I could not get sober. Um, I felt like he was punishing me. And I kind of hated him at the time. Uh, one night, I went, after another binge, I uh, ended up in a hospital. And I was laying on a hospital bed, and uh, I asked God, like, just, and just take me. Um, I just wanted to die. I mean, if you're not gonna, you know, it's not gonna help me, let me go. I don't know, but from that moment on, something, it seemed like he heard me. I started working these 12 steps. And that relationship I had with God through these steps, it seemed like it was getting better. I want to say even without addiction or anything like that, I think the 12 steps just in, just in general, uh, without, you know, just normal people, as you say, I think the 12 steps can help anybody. Right now I am five years sober. Uh, just celebrated five years last month on the 20th. I'm married uh, now, and it's been it's it's been a blessing, man. It's it's unbelievable. Man, I'm so excited to be here this morning. In some ways, I want to get paused because I realize I used to think it was my job to get you kind of emotionally stirred up. You don't need emotionally stirred up. You need spiritually set free. And we serve a God that does that. And I don't care where you are. I mean, at death's doorstep, God can bring hope to your life. So they were, he was in first service, and after this video, I walked down. His wife grabbed me and said, you know you married us exactly one year ago today. It's like, come on. It's not like we planned that, but man, I don't know where you're at. But I know God can give you hope. You don't need me for that. You need him. And that's why before we turn to his word, we bow our heads in prayer. Will you bow your head with me? Father, we are here to celebrate you, to hear from you. You're a God that brings people from death's doorstep to love and joy. And I think of Antoine, God, even just a year ago, being married, experiencing your goodness that we just sang about. God, I want that for all of us. God, please don't let us just spend the time hearing a sermon. Let us hear from you. Let us know your goodness and experience your hope this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hi, I am Jared, and I am an addict. You guys will get it. We got a couple more weeks, but you're getting there. And I debated on saying that, you know, what do people think of that? Will people misunderstand that? And even some of this series, you know, what are people going to think? Are they going to kind of misunderstand that? The reason I can say that, there's a couple of them. The reason we're excited to do this series is I'm convinced of a couple of things. One, these steps, as you unpack them, we're, I'm not just teaching you the 12 steps. We're teaching you biblical principles that men inspired by God decided to order and make them practical. I'm convinced 
Every one of these steps is a biblical principle, and therefore, we can gather and learn from them. And the second thing, I know, and I'm convinced of one, that it's biblical, it is effective, that it works. I know so many people that have found freedom by walking these 12 steps. I've seen it with my own eyes. So for about 30 years now, I've been in and out of the rooms of AA. Some of you are starting to do the math, like, was he an alcoholic at eight years old? So no, I was not like a nine-year-old hitting the bottle, but I come from a long line of addicts, and my mom is an alcoholic. So I don't know everything. But I know my mom's alive today, and I have a relationship with my mother. My kids have a relationship with their grandmother. Because my mom found God walking the steps of AA. And my mom learned to walk with Jesus by walking these steps. So I don't know much, but I know that. And if you're a little bit nervous, like, I thought it's anonymous. Did he just share his mom's an alcoholic? One, my mom just learned how to text like months ago. If you think she knows how to work a live stream and is hearing this, you've misunderstood the situation. There's no way she's ever going to hear about this. Two, chill out. I asked her permission to share some of my oldest memories. I mean, I remember nine years old running in and watching my mom give her first lead, and we're running with a bunch of kids, and she was talking about, like, oh, those are my kids. And it was a bunch of us. She's like, well, well, the white ones for sure. And everybody laughed, and so it was a fun time. But, man, it works. And lastly, we wouldn't be just doing this if this is just to learn how alcoholics experience sobriety. I'm convinced that all of us are addicts. And so I can sit up here and not blink and say, hey, I'm Jared, and I am an addict. See, for me, it wasn't substance. It wasn't substance addiction. I've never been addicted to alcohol or any other substance. But you can be sure I am addicted to sin in my own selfishness. You could be sure that even if you're not an alcoholic, I promise you, you are addicted to something. You are controlled by something. Let's look at this passage together before we dive into the steps. This is 2 Peter 2. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. Now for the alcoholic, yeah, it's the bottle that controls them. I was never controlled by the bottle, but you can be sure I'm controlled by something. And so are you. You know how many people in this room struggle with pornography? I have never once met a person and asked them about their struggles with pornography, and they said, well, you know, I like it. <laughs> it's, it's good for my life. You know, after I watch it, I feel good about, you know, watching it, and, and that's why I do it. It's a choice that I've made. Said nobody. Why do you do it? Because you're a slave to it. You're controlled by it. You're addicted to it. It controls you. I mean, think of how many things in your life. Maybe for you, yeah, it's not alcohol. Maybe for you, it's food. I mean, there's times in my life where I overeat and I get unhealthy. Is that because I want to? How many times have you tried to sit on a diet? I'm not going to do this. And you break that diet. Why? Because you're a slave to it. It controls you. Maybe for you it's money. Maybe it's for you it's your own self-image. Maybe for some of us, if you can't see over there, it's the phone. I'm, I'm holding the phone up. 
How many of us, it is the same, you do brain scans, the same thing, you're addicted to your phone, you can't stop looking at it. Do you think that I want, it's my choice that I want to be a bad parent and not attentive to my kids? No. But how many times I can't be at home and I'm addicted to my phone? You are too. I mean, I don't know what it is for you. I mean, is it social media? Almost every single person I talk to, you know, would admit, yeah, you know, I probably, I'm on social media too much. Is it good for you? Yeah, no, not really. Are you going to stop? No. Because you're controlled by, we can't stop. That's control, that's slavery, that's addiction. And so we're not just here to learn about alcoholics and addicts. We're here to realize, look, I'm an addict. And if it's not substance, I'm addicted to my own selfishness, my own ego. So I think this impacts all of us. So that's why I am fine to dive in. And we're going to dive in through you know, kind of steps four through seven. Last week, we kicked it off with we're going to handle it in four big leaps. So the first big leap is give up. Get right with God. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol. And even that, for, I'm going to put, I'm even just going to add sin to kind of all these moving forward. That our lives had become unmanageable. Two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. So this really is the key, particularly step three. It's the kind of key to all of it to get to that point where you surrender your life to God. You need to give up and get right with God. And what I'm going to lay out for you, steps four through seven, I would not tell you to do that unless you first did this. Because yes, you first need to get right with God, and this week we're going to dive into getting right with yourself. And this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we separate the men from the boys. The, do you separate women from girls? I don't know if that's a thing. But girls, you're, you're, you're in too, but you get the point. This is where it gets real and gritty, and if you really meant this, man, it's time to get to work. This is what the big book, kind of AA's manual says. After you've completed step three, look what it says. Step three, it could have little permanent effect unless at once it was followed by a strenuous effort to face and to be rid of the things in, our, in ourselves which had been blocking us. You can't just give your life to God and hope that it's all rosy from there. There is hard work ahead. And I'm going to warn you, what I'm going to encourage you to today is difficult and hard. What I'm going to ask you to do today, it's quite painful. But here's the deal. I'm going to make it the easiest choice you've ever heard. Before you was the easiest choice, and you know why many people won't choose it. The choice is easy, the path is difficult. You could, you have the choice. You can continue in your shame and in your isolation. You can cling to your pride, ride your pride into the grave and continue in your shame and isolation. You have that choice. Or you can experience the presence and peace of God in your life and you can experience freedom over those things that you're enchained to. Easiest choice you've ever had. 
it's a difficult path to get there. It reminds me of this G.K. Chesterton quote. This path I'm talking not talking about has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. What I'm asking you to do, I've done in my life. Many people have done this before. I have never met somebody that has walked these steps and said it wasn't worth it, it wasn't helpful. Everybody that has done it has said it is a worthy journey. But some people will look at the journey and say it's too hard, and then they'll leave it untried. But I promise you, it's worth it if you walk these steps. So let's dive in. They are hard, and so I want to give you a little pep talk, but let's dive in. Steps four through seven, getting right with ourselves. Step four, we'll take them one at a time. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. This is the first time I think I'm going to give you a worksheet, like literal homework. This is the most practical application I'm ever going to give you. We're going to post it on social media. It'll be on our addiction page. I literally want you to write down and make an inventory of yourself and your character defects. You think, why would I do that? Again, these are so biblical, it's not funny. Listen to this scripture. Tell me it's almost not the same thing. Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. You want to experience that everlasting life? God has talked about what does Psalm 139, step four, tell us? Ask God to search you and reveal to you all of the grievous, messed up things about you. And here we go. I'm going to kind of lay out and get real practical of what it looks like to complete step four that I would encourage you to. So this worksheet that I'm going to give it to you, you can do it on your own or you can download it off our website and we'll post on social media. It has four columns. First column, I want you to list out all your resentments. I told you it's not fun. I want you to go through... And maybe a couple different chunks, maybe a half hour on a couple different days. I want you, one, to pray that prayer. Pray Psalm 139. Search me and know me, God. And then what God reveals to you, I want you to write it down. What are the people, places, institutions that have harmed you, that you have bitterness for, that have hurt you, that you resent? I mean, goodness, I'm not trying to just slam your parents, but how many people in here, almost every one of us could write our parents on some level. You know, maybe there'd be kind of chunks that you'll do. Maybe for you it was a coach. Maybe you're resentful to how a coach treated you, how your siblings treated you. And again, it could be an institution. Maybe it's your fraternity. Maybe it's the military. I don't know what it is. What is it for you that you have hurt and resentment and fear towards? And I want you to just write down who that is. Probably a couple people, their exes, and show up on that list. Family, coach. Again, whatever it is, I want you to write it out. Two, I want you to write the cause. And this is huge to just begin to kind of draw your fears into reality. What happened? I'm resentful towards my coach. What was the cause? What was the incident? He always used to embarrass me and make me feel like a nobody in practice. What was the incident? 
You know, I'm, you know, resentful towards my parents because they verbally or physically abused me. What is the cause? Like, what actually happened? Part of it is comes, it brings you into reality because you could realize some of the resentments you have are just fabricated. You may do this and realize, like, wow, I'm resentful to my parents because they, you know, loved my siblings more than me. And you realize, man, that, maybe that's not even the case. But it's important. I literally want you to write this down. Okay, what were you hurt by? Who were you hurt by? What happened? What was the cause? Write it down. And then three, what is the effect that it had on you? So your dad that was super hard on you, what did that do to you? I mean, how did that affect your view of self? What was the impact that it had on you, your relationships, your view of self, kind of the way that you interact with other people, maybe even financially? You're bitter at an employer because they, you know, fired you wrongly or whatever, and it cost you money. But even more, some of that deeper stuff, how did it impact you? And I want you to go through And I want you to write that out. How did it impact you? But this is key. Look, I have a great fear. Sometimes we can just play the victim. And I have no desire of that for any of us. So my hope isn't that you just go through and you look at all the people that have hurt you, all the things that have hurt you. What was done to you? And then how it impacted you as a man, as a woman, as a parent. And then just get ticked at them. The big book's clear. The goal is you need to understand how you were hurt because it formed your character defects. But you need to do what you can to just totally rid yourself of blaming those people. I've always heard it said this way and it always stuck with me. Yeah, it's your parents' fault for who you are. It's your fault for staying that way. So don't just always blame, oh, they did this to me. A huge part of this is making yourself not a victim. So as you look through that list, I want you to write it down and pray what Jesus prayed. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's one thing AA is good about. You're going down this process because you're spiritually sick. Guess what? The person that hurt you, they're spiritually sick too. Yeah, your dad, maybe he abused you, but your grandfather probably beat the crap out of him too. He is sick. Hurt people hurt people, right? And so as best you can, okay, Father, forgive them. So don't stop there. Okay, here's how I was hurt. Here's how it impacted me. And then you gotta get to the truth. And the truth of what's my part. Where am I to blame? Because we want to just make ourselves the victim. The whole point is to get you to do a moral inventory of your own character defects. You're not writing out your parents' character defects. You're just using that to understand your resentments and how it impacted you. What is the truth? Where were you to blame? Now, you could be mad at that bully. Maybe that's one of yours. That bully bullied you, but guess what? You also allowed that to make you a bully. And then you choose to act out of that character defect. So something like this, let's just say a hypothetical situation, right? So say someone maybe is resentful towards their parents. Call them to what was the cause? Well, the divorce. And that left, you know, not enough tension to not enough attention to care for the kids. So what effect did that have on the kids? 
Well, they felt unworthy and they felt devalued and they felt vulnerable. But the truth is, that kid also withdrew and that kid also withheld themselves from that and that kid also allowed them to be defensive and feel inferior and then that kid pushes people away. It's not hypothetical. That's my life. And that did something to me. And that, you all were harmed in some way, but that in me, I allowed it to become my character defect. And then I acted out, and I need to own that. You need to stop blaming everybody for how you turned out. Yes, it impacted you, but then we go on and we make a choice to kind of live out of that character defect. Who hurt you? What was the trauma? What was the cause? How did it impact you? But then you need to get real and honest with your own character defects and what did it produce in you. So you got homework this week. (laughs) Homework is, I want you to run through all the messed up things that have ever been done to you and how, write out how it messed you up. (laughs) No joke. You may have a follow-up question of, why in the world would I do that? Legit. Let me explain. Let's look at this verse together. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. Why would I ask you to bring up all the mess of your life? Because I want you to obtain the grace of God. I want you to experience the peace and presence of God flowing through you. And you're going to want to skip this step. You're going to want to not write it down. You're going to want to not be honest. Nobody wants to do this. It goes against every one of our instincts. But if you skip this step, you won't experience the grace of God flowing through you. Those things, you were hurt. You were a victim. I'm not excusing what was done to you. It was wrong. But then it defiled us and we allowed it to define us. I love that word, root of bitterness, because that's a perfect picture of what bitterness does. Those ways that you have been wounded cause bitterness to take root in your heart. And that bitterness grew and strangled you out. It strangles out... God's presence and peace in your life. I just had to take a tree down in my front yard. Those guys are impressive. You ever see a tree come down? It was like 10 minutes, like, (laughs) thing fell. It didn't make that noise. I don't know why I did that, but it was, (laughs) I had to take the tree out. Why? Because my pipes were getting clogged. It was backing up into the house because those tree roots were choking out the pipes. That is what bitterness is in your life. That bitterness, that resentment that took seed and your life grew and those roots are clogging the pipes of your soul. And it's keeping God's love flowing through you. Listen to the way the big book says it. Resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more of us than anything else. And from it stems all forms of spiritual disease. If we are to live, we had to be free of anger. Our liquor was but a symptom. So we had to get down to the causes and conditions. Why in the world would I have you do this? 
Because I want you to be healed. Because you can't just manage the symptoms of your life. You have to find the real disease going on in here. The real cause of it needs healed. You think, you know, as an alcoholic, your life is messed up because of alcohol. That's not true. Your life isn't just messed up because of alcohol. Because you're messed up, you turn to alcohol. Oh, my life is messed up because my marriage is bad. No, my marriage is bad because I'm messed up. Because I feel insignificant and I can't stop from being defensive in my marriage. And if I don't cure that, I'll never cure my marriage. And so you can't just manage the symptoms in your life. You have to get down to the causes, the root issue, the spiritual disease that you have. Stop just managing symptoms and thinking you're going to get through that. You won't. So why in the world would I have you literally write out all the ways that you've been damaged, all your character defects? Have you ever heard the old song? There's a couple of them that talk about dross. And I used to sing it all the time when a song, you know, burn away the dross. And I'm praising, I didn't know what dross meant. Truth be told, I'm singing, and I had no idea what I was singing about. Like, holy fire. Hey, do you know what dross is? If you ever sing about it, dross is when you heat up metal, and you heat it up so hot, the imperfections, the impurities in the metal, they bubble up to the top. And until you do that, you can't. And then you skim off the dross. You take away the imperfections. You've been driven by resentments and wounds. Your life isn't messed up because you go to pornography. You go to pornography because you feel inadequate. And that is what you need to solve. But until you do that, you can't skip this step. Until you let it bubble up. Can you really hand that over and give that to God? So your homework, I want you to write out all the messed up things that have been done to you and how it messed you up. It gets a little bit worse. I want you to tell somebody about it. Step five, here we go. So not only are you going to lay your garbage out there, you're going to admit it to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Not only are you going to have to dive into the mess of how you're messed up, you're going to go ahead and share that with somebody. The underline is not a part of the big book. I added that. I'll admit it to God. God, I just feel inadequate. Oh, man, I do feel that way. Tell it to somebody else. Mm -mm. Like, that's where, again, the rubber meets the road. You're going to want to skip that. And even as, you know, I was raised where you had to confess to a priest, right? And I was good Protestants. You know, we swing the pendulum like, I don't need to confess to no priest. I go straight to the Lord Jesus Christ Almighty. Hallelujah. I got a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't need to go to no priest. Well, there's a little problem when you look at this scripture. Therefore, confess your sins to, you can say it, to one another, you guys, good job. And pray for one another that you may be healed. Don't you dare do the hard work of this process and stop short of sharing it with somebody. Because why? I'm not trying to torture you. I'm not trying to make you feel horrible. I'm trying to what? Allow you to feel healing. What is healing contingent upon? Sharing that with another human being. 
I have simple prayers this week. There are secrets and shames that have been in this room that you have hidden from every human being on this planet. And I want you to share that with another human being. Now in AA, you got a sponsor. And I'd encourage you, you know, find somebody with some maturity that you could trust. Maybe your community group leader. If you're in CLC or a men's or a women's table, like somebody that you trust. If you don't have anybody in your life, email me. I'll find somebody. If you can't find anybody, I'll sit down with you and do your fifth step. But don't stop short of this. Listen how the big book, not the big book, another AA resource says it this way about step five, sharing it with another human being. Scarcely is any step more necessary to long time victory over sin and peace of mind than this one. We search for an easier way, which usually consists of general and fairly painless admissions. We shall get rid of that terrible sense of isolation we've always had. Almost without exception, sinners are tortured by loneliness. You won't want to do it. Why? Because every one of us is deathly afraid that if you really knew that junk about me, you would reject me. And so we hide the most shameful things about ourselves because we're afraid that we'll be rejected. Ironically, when we do that because we're afraid we won't be loved, we cut ourselves off from the ability to ever be loved. I like this definition of love. What is it? It's exposure plus acceptance. But what do we do? We never expose and bear our heart to somebody because we're afraid they won't accept us. Therefore, we never experience genuine love and acceptance. Listen to me. This is important. You are only loved to the extent you're known. You are only loved to the extent you're known. And part of the reason, like an alcoholic, you feel isolated, you feel lonely because you've never made yourself known. You've never really bared yourself to anybody and therefore never giving yourself the opportunity to be truly accepted. Why in the world would you share that dark secret that you've never told anybody? Because I want you to be healed and to be healed you need to be loved and known. I want you to share that with somebody. I hope secrets that have just put you in a prison, you experience freedom from. So that's step five. Make an inventory. Share that with another human being. But then I'm going to kind of go a little bit quicker through the last two steps of six and seven. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. First, I didn't understand why six and seven, but I, I really began to experience the wisdom of that. Because six, to get ready. I know so many people that you, every sin in your life, you don't want it there. You're just not ready to give it up. And I pray that God puts you in that place. And nobody wants to struggle with pornography, overeating. Nobody wants to be an egomaniac. Everybody wants that out of their life, but they're not ready to let it go. Man, you got bullied, and so you made sure you'd never be bullied again, and so you went and bullied everybody else. And you don't want that in your life, 
but you're not ready to let it go. That's where alcoholics have an advantage over us. The alcoholic doesn't really have a choice. Every alcoholic I met says, I had to do this or I was going to die. Now, you can slowly let your marriage die. You can slowly allow the resentments and bitterness to choke you out so you can become more and more bitter. That's the sad part is we have that choice. And if you're not an alcoholic, yeah, maybe your life will still be functional. But it is a death nonetheless. It's just a slower death. So that thing that's been driving you, that character defect that you don't like, are you finally ready to let it go? To let it go, to find victory means you humbly turn it over to God. You finally get to that place that I can't do it. God, take it. I'm sick of hiding. I'm sick of trying to do this on myself and failing as a dad, as a man, as a husband. I can't change it. Take it. That's your only way to victory, to humbly acknowledge. And we, particularly as men, but all of us, don't like to surrender because we feel like for me to humble myself to acknowledge I failed. Surrender is not the final step to defeat. Surrender is the first step to victory. It's not failure. It's finding the road to success. And yes, you have to humble yourself. And you can choose to keep your pride and run it into your grave. We can't do it. We need to humble ourselves. If you want that thing out of your life, stop trying to manage it. Ask God to take it. Look as Galatians 3.3 says it. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Step three, yeah, you surrendered to God. You need him. And now all of a sudden, you got to change Stop being defensive. Stop being angry. Stop being whatever it is. And now you're going to do that by your own power? I love it. It just says that foolish. It's like a sick person going into surgery and trying to perform surgery on themselves. It's impossible. You're the broken one. You need help. The choice is unbelievably easy. Death or life. Shame or peace in the presence of God. But you got to get to the point where you're ready to hand it over to him and ask God to take it. I want to end with one quote from Bill W., one of the founders of AA that really drives home this point. You need to remember that you're dealing with sin. It's cunning, baffling, powerful. Without help, it is too much for you. But there is one who has all power. That one is God. You must find him now. Half measures will avail you nothing. You stand at a turning point. Throw yourself under his protection and care with complete abandon. That's my simple prayer for all of us, that as we've been on this journey of trying to do this ourselves and trying to fix ourselves, that we would throw ourselves at his mercy and instead of clinging to these things that we don't want, finally surrender it and say, God, I can't. Take it. Heal me. If you want that for your life, here's the steps. I pray you choose that. Will you pray with me? Father, all of us in here want freedom. 
Father, all of us in here want peace. And all of us in here want healing. The choice is easy. As we look at these steps, this big leap to get right with ourselves, it seems too difficult. But God, would you remind us now that we surrender to you. We don't walk these steps alone. You walk with us. We humble ourselves right now and say we can't do it. We need you. Jesus, take it from us. It's in his name. Amen.